created live on Fireside. Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me live on Fireside Chat, where you can be a part of the conversation as my virtual audience. I am your host, Lori Lee Vinstock. Everyone has an opportunity to ask me or our guest questions by requesting to hop on stage or sending a message in the chat box. I will try to get to you, but we do ask that everybody be respectful. Today's guest is Colleen Ryan Hensley. Colleen is a 10-year Navy veteran, performance coach, and advocate for mental health and expert in mental toughness. Colleen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura Lee. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. This is perfect. Well, first of all, I I do want to ask, you know, what does it mean to be a performance coach? Well, you know, a lot of it is centered around mental skills training for peak performance. So regardless of what your performance arena is, there are, you know, these tools that have been proven over time to be effective to uh, thrive during challenging situations and really just everyday life. And I do want to get to those things, but I want to ask, really, how did how did that what happened in your life to lead you down this path to be a performance coach? Well, um, as you <laughs> said, I was in the Navy for almost 11 years. And prior to that, in my adolescence, I really dealt with a lot of depression, you know, back in the mid 80s, no one was really talking about it. So, mm, yeah. um, you know, I really didn't know what to do with those feelings. Uh, a lot of my idea around any kind of therapy or counseling at that point was extremely stigmatized. And so I started to work through my own uh, my own mental health challenges using running and long distance running at that point. And I started using what I know now as imagery, um, a lot of visualization to deal with these feelings that I was having on my own. And I took those skills with me into the military and they really helped me to thrive in that environment as well. Uh, during that time, I was in a highly technical position, but I was, I also spent a lot of my time as a career counselor and fitness leader, uh, no matter where I was on ship or on shore duty. And, uh, that is what led to me continuing down this path. Uh, and, you know, my mission of bringing these methods and tools to really the general public, because as of right now, we really still consider a lot of these tools to be applicable in in extreme environments like the military or extreme sports or professional sports, but there's so much applicability to real life. And so I continued continued uh, down that path post-military. I got out about 12 years ago and got my advanced degree in performance psychology. Well, I think that's really great that you, you, you're, you're also a mental health advocate. Yes, and absolutely. I would think, I would think that a lot of the work that goes into, you know, performance coaching would have a lot to do with 
mental, your mental awareness, your mental stability, um, and in mental toughness being that you are an expert in mental toughness as well. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, there's still, there, there is a lot of crossover between mental health and performance. The way it was explained to me a long time ago when I started getting into the field was that, uh, you know, with, with, mental health, a lot of times we're really talking about a negative 10 to a zero on a scale. And then when you get into performance and performance optimization, we're talking about a zero to a positive 10 and how to get there. But what we have only started to dive into as a society and, you know, in, you know, the Western field of psychology is that there is so much crossover. And a lot of times, you know, as a performance coach, um, I come across these generalized mental health challenges more often than not, depending on the population that I'm working with. And a lot of my work has been with veterans post-military. So, you know, if somebody were to come with the idea of, you know, being for, for performance optimization, for example, but they haven't yet managed these other mental health challenges that they're having, that's where, you know, my work stops and I advocate for professional mental health, which is great. I, I, I love that aspect of it, but there is so much more, uh, so much more to examine here with this crossover. And that's really what I want to do with redefining or rebranding mental toughness. And I mm -hmm. say it that way because as of now, we're really, and, and in the past and, you know, my adolescence that I grew up in, and it was a lot of this rub some dirt on it and get back in the game, right? Mm -hmm. It was this like gritty, resilient, you know, focused type of mental toughness. And that is absolutely necessary for, you know, living and thriving in stressful situations. But a lot of times those stressful situations, which I know that you know, Laura Lee, can leave, <laughs> can leave very toxic residual energy. And mm -hmm. because as a society, we haven't yet added that second half, that other half of the puzzle to mental toughness, like, hey, it's great that to be tough and to be resilient and to be able to thrive in these stressful situations, but it's not yet the way, like the way to make sure that we're going back and processing and looking at that residual energy that might be there that's wreaking havoc on our lives and our mental health if we allow it to control us without looking at it. Yeah, I feel like in the 80s and the 90s, you know, mental, you know, quote unquote, toughness would be being able to bury any negative yes. feelings, any yeah. negativity. So you can put on a face of I'm tough, I, everything's great. But you know, that does creep in. And it sounds like, you know, this evolution of mental toughness is now being able to face that trauma or the right. issues or the negative negative energy that yes. that is plaguing you. Yes. Yeah, in this, you know, idea of being tough. I mean, I could argue Lorelee that going back and processing all of that and I'm sure you could agree is the actual tough part. <laughs> That's right. where toughness is. <laughs> right. That's that's the stuff that's uncomfortable. It, yeah. it, there are times where, you know, it's so much easier to just bury everything deep. The problem is it just comes back up and creeps yeah. up and then, you know, Sometimes it's uncontrollable. Absolutely. Um, 
but you're right. It, the, the really hard work is, is facing it. And so I know you, you've contributed to Authentic Insider. You know, you and I have had conversations um, prior to today yes. um, where you talked about some trauma that you had experienced in the Navy. Yes. Are you comfortable talking about that? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's part of why I'm here. <laughs> it's so important. And I, I, you know, I do want to put out a trigger warning to listeners out there, um, you know, who have experienced or have been impacted by sexual assault. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we talk about these things, um, not only from the mental toughness aspect, but also from, you know, a preventative, proactive um, uh, approach to where, you know, we educate people about about being able to be aware and more aware, you know, specifically in my circumstance, I was in my twenties and had had way too much to drink. Yeah. Um, my mental toughness got in the way of my healing for almost two decades. And I say mm -hmm. that because, you know, I was 22 at the time and I'm 44 now. And I, as I said, I had way too much to drink. I was blacked out. I was around a few people that I trusted. And then, you know, it was, it was pretty close to my graduation from a training command. And so there, you know, the parties were getting bigger, you know, imagine, <clears throat> imagine being close to, you know, graduating from college or, gra mm -hmm. you know, graduation. <laughs> it was that type of thing. And so I uh, went to this party. I lost all awareness and control and did something that, you know, I've leaned on alcohol for quite some time to deal with things, um, or to, <laughs> to avoid. And, um, and I was sexually assaulted by two people that I trusted. And I, you know, as I've come to know this now as what we consider a gray rape, where it was people that I had had previous relationships with. I continued the relationship afterwards because I didn't, you know, I didn't know any better. Um, I, I blamed myself 100%. As I said, like that, that idea, this, I really adopted the stoicism and the mental toughness, as it were, of, of the military. It really helped me to, you know, continue to bury these really deep seated mental health issues from my adolescence. It was just like another step I was taking, you know, putting on this facade and just becoming a, an unfeeling robot. And so afterwards, I woke up. And um, that it was in the middle of the night, the same night, and I didn't really know where I was. And um, I walked out into the main house that I was in and everyone was still there but passed out. And I saw the two people that were involved and I just had this moment of, you know, what am, what am I going to do? And I made the decision in what feels like a like just a just a second that I was going to take full responsibility because I didn't want to ruin my career. I didn't want to report it. Uh, no one forced me to drink, you know, like those types of things. And um, I didn't report it. And actually, I went to the training command or, you know, aka school on that Monday. So that was a that was a Sunday and a Sunday morning. And I went to the school on Monday and faced all of the people that were at the party were from another classroom, another class that was in the same building. And so I faced all of them. I got up in front of their class as they sat down in the morning and I said, Hey, I 
I don't know what you saw. I don't know what you remember, but I want all of you to forget that it happened. If I hear anybody talking about it, you're going to be sorry. And I made them agree to that. And I walked out and totally buried it for 15 years. I was, you know, years out of the Navy before I, now I understand it looking back, you know, all of that was a blackout for, for (laughs) most, for most of the past two decades. But now that I have really done so much work around it, I know that it was because I left the military and started feeling safe and secure in a loving relationship finally, which took work in of itself because I was so unfeeling and so disconnected and so heartless and so Mm. just not a good person. Um, You know, that trauma was just coming out of me in every which way possible and wreaking havoc on my life and self-sabotaging relationships and just, you know, the whole gamut. And so... Um, it wasn't until about five, six years ago that I really, you know, opened up to, uh, my therapist at the time. And when I did that, you know, that was a really huge turning point for me. What did your therapist say when, and how did you describe the situation? Were you saying, oh, this happened? And I, like you, you were saying earlier, you kind of blamed yourself did, yeah. when, in, in t- telling the therapist were you still taking the blame? Yes. And mm-hmm. it's fun. it's a, an interesting story because I, you know, I had done a whole lot of work with her around my husband and my relationship problems and my family of origin, you know, challenges that were, you know, impacting my relationship patterns and all of those things. So I had already done a lot of work and was peeling back the layers when I started having flashbacks and night terrors and things that were like, hey, you can't ignore this anymore. Like, sorry, this is all coming back. And Mm. so I told my therapist one day, I said, I think, and I remember, and we talked about this since because I said, I think I may have been taken advantage of in the Navy. That's all that I said. And then I stopped seeing her for about a year. I couldn't go back. I I couldn't face this idea that I was a victim. It was a very, and again, that's that mental toughness. That's this, you know, there, we can't be broken. We can't, I can't be, you know, a victim of anything. I'm too strong. I'm too, you know, I'm too this. I'm too much in control of my life. So it took me another year, you know, to go back and really start to work through it. Did you see the same therapist? I did. I did. did she ask why you went missing for a year? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there were other life circumstances happening. I became a full-time caregiver for my father-in-law who mm. was suffering with stage four colon cancer. So that was, you know, that was something that was obviously very impactful for my life. And it also really gave me the inspiration and the, you know, motivation to continue to heal as, you know, those existential life situations will often, you know, do. Mm -hmm. And so when I did go back to see her, she knew that I had during that time, I'd been seeing, I'm like I said, huge mental health advocate. So I pretty much always have somebody. And during that time, I was seeing a, you know, somebody who is more performance focused and like caregiver focused, like that kind of thing. So when I did go back to see her, the first thing that I said was, do you remember what I said to you? last time I saw you. And she was like, she obviously must have just reviewed her notes because she said, yes, you think you were raped in the Navy. I never said that word and I'd never heard that word. You know, it was like such a 
such a powerful moment because it was this giant word that I can now only say after, you know, years of work. Um, mm. And I just kind of sat there like, <gasps> whoa, like she knows, you know, she's figured it out. And so um, during that time, I think you and I talked about this, Lorley. I She had learned the same therapist had gone back for certification in parts work or internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, and, you did. I think you did tell me this briefly because yeah. we, we have a lot to talk about internal family systems. Yes. Um, but did she she start doing parts work with you at that point? Yes. Yeah, and it was very, very helpful. It really resonated with me. Like I said, I've always been very visual. I've used a lot of mental skills training around imagery and visualization. And so um, the idea that this trauma was not all of me, but a part was very, very helpful in my ability to see it for what it was and to start, you know, working through it. Did you feel comfortable a rape? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> that took me probably two years. What made you realize like, okay, yes, this was an actual rape? Um, I think that it was, you know, the separation of this idea that I was a victim. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, that was very, very tough for me to deal with. Um, and, you know, that my, my toughness couldn't save me from this, you know, this idea that this happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it was really just, uh, you know, parts work helped helped me separate it and kind of pull it outside of myself and see it from afar. And when I, when I was finally able to say that I was raped, that was very, very powerful and very healing in of itself because it was like this giant weight that I was carrying that I was so used to feeling the pressure and the pain and, you know, this just exhaustion from this toxic energy. I was so used to it that when I said that, it was like a lot of that went away just in the mm. recognition of it. You know, it's it's looking back, knowing what you know now, you know, when you faced the the people who did this to you and you said, we're not going to talk about it. Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything different? You know, I've been asked this question a lot since I really, started, yeah, <laughs> since I've started talking about this, and I'm not sure that I would. And let me mm-hmm. explain to you why. Because the military now, you know, 15, 20 years, I guess 22 years later, is a lot different than it was back then. But I was, you know, I felt like I was on my path. I felt like I was, you know, in my life's purpose. I wanted to join the Navy since I was a very small girl growing up on my grandfather's sea stories. Like it was my dream. And so back then, had I reported it, things would have changed drastically. Mm. And I, I, things would, it would have destroyed my career. It wouldn't necessarily have destroyed the people, other people involved. Like there's so many unknowns and so much uncertainty that I have a hard time saying that I would have changed the way that I did things. That makes sense. I mean, for me, you know, people ask me, you know, what have I told, what I have told someone, you know, I'm a childhood sexual um, abuse survivor. Um, I was abused by my father. Um, And, you know, as an adult, I, I eventually told my mom and 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 she believed me 
Yeah. I don't think she would have believed me. Yeah. 20 something yeah. years ago. Yeah. I really don't think so. I think she thought she, you know, I think she struggled with her own issues back yeah. then. And I think, you know, because even after I told her recently, you know, it was not but six or some seven months later when she was just like, you know, I haven't seen my grandkids. Can we just forget about what happened? You know, that was a long time ago. And it was like, oh, now I know that I wouldn't have done anything differently yeah. back then. Yeah. Um, because it's all about just kind of moving on. Yeah. Um, so I understand that. And that was, you know, a different time, like you said, in the military, yeah. different time, just in general, in general. Yeah. People did not see, like you said, this idea of mental toughness was just bearing it, dealing with it, living in isolation with it. Yeah. Um, and we we all know now that that is completely the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Because well, I it hope can... we all. I hope we're all learning now. I know. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is hard. It's yeah. not. It's oh not easy to say yeah. these things out loud. It took me twenty something years. Yeah. Um, but if we were still in the same society that we were living in in the '90s, I, I probably it, I I was planning on taking this to my grave. Yeah. Um, but I was struggling and I was suffering, and everyone around me was struggling and suffering. Exactly. You know, there's this quote that you know, if you don't heal old wounds, you'll bleed on the people who didn't hurt you. Yeah. I think that was it. I was just like, oh. It's so accurate. It's so accurate. And, you know, and I have kids and, you know, it was really hard for them for the first couple of years when I just didn't realize it. And once I yeah. said it out loud, it was, it was very much, I was like, okay, I can heal. I can actually figure out what I need to do. Exactly. There's actually uh, a way out of this. Yeah, exactly. You know, you talked about drinking. You used drinking to cope. And was that before um, the sexual assault in yes. the military? Yes, it was before, during, and after. I mean, it's Ugh. just so accept it's just so accessible and acceptable, you know, by society. And it was during my teenage years, I started drinking really early. I started drinking and interestingly enough, found long distance running and was somehow balancing the <laughs> two. Um, I don't know yeah. how you would do that. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, I was I was using both as escape. I would kind of uh, go from one extreme to the other a lot of times in just this vicious cycle, uh, which would obviously not be helpful when it came to the drinking side of it. Um, and that would, you know, in, increase my depressive symptoms and a lot of times take me down that downward spiral right to, you know, the suicidal thoughts. And um, when I joined the military, you know, there were a lot of times where there was either complete abstinence just due to the environment or the opposite just out of control drinking just as not not even as a an I wasn't aware that I was using it as an escape method mm -hmm. um but you know I would I would do that it was just part of the party culture when did you realize it was a problem when it was an issue the drinking mhm mm during my last couple of years in the Navy, you know, at that point I was 30. So I started to, you know, see a little of what was actually happening or what I had lost control of. And, and, um, I was living in San Diego at the time. And so 
Whereas when I was on deployment on the ship, I was on destroyers for six years, two different ships. And when I was on the ship, a lot of times I would have those longer periods of abstinence. Even when we, when we traveled, um, you know, around the world, I had just kind of sidebar. I had this conversation with this old World War II vet, older World War II vet before I joined the Navy. It was like the night before I left. He said, you know, the inside of every bar looks the same. And that really changed me. I, you know, I've always when I wanted to join the Navy partially for the service, a lot of it for the service, and then a lot of it for the travel. And so thankfully, you know, that really stuck with me. And I did not drink when I was overseas. I would maybe have a drink with dinner, but I had some very close friends, shipmates that we would just really embrace the travel part and really, you know, um, immerse ourselves in the culture and those kinds of things. So deployments for me were very healthy. I think that happens a lot to people that are in, you know, the military when they take these longer periods away from these things that they're just leaning on to escape and avoid things. It's like, whoa, there's this total, you know, this, this crazy increased quality of life. And so when I was in San Diego, on shore duty, which is essentially, you know, a full-time job at that point, you're not going out to sea or anything. I, um, I mean, it was crazy social life. I was out <laughs> every night. I was still working out and still doing crazy, you know, long runs. I mean, 20 miles through San Diego was a normal, wow. was a normal Sunday. Um, but I really started, I think it, 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 it started to impact me physically first, you know, and then I was like, wait a minute. There's some, there's more to this. Why am I abusing this? <laughs> so I, you know, started to recreate, recreate what I felt when I was underway at sea. I would just, you know, kind of pretend like I was and I would just lay off for a while. And, it, you know, that, that kind of, you know, dumbs it down and makes it simple. But it was because I was really convinced that that is when I felt my best. And that was, you know, it became more and more important to me. Mm. Did you, you know, and you've, you've been able to, you were easily able to get that under control or did you feel like you had to get help for the, the alcohol? In the military, it was, it's like, I didn't, um, I don't know how to explain it. I was, it was either this or that. I was very uh, either drinking or not. Like I would turn it off for months. A lot of times, like I had this, this boyfriend who is this amazing personal trainer and one of my best friends. And, and we would just like challenge each other to just not drink. And so it became just kind of a, you know, a, a good thing to do to, you know, improve my health because that was, that was important to me. I was, you know, thinking about the mental health aspect a little bit, but even still, you know, that was 2009 or 2000, yeah, 2008, 2009, you know, we still weren't even close to where we are now with all of this and being able to, you know, talk about it and keep our mental health more at the forefront. Um, it wasn't until after I got out of the military that I, it was, it just became even more so, um, impacting me physically, but also my relationships. And that's when I really reached out for help, um, at that point. And I've tried various programs around that. And, and a lot of times I was able to do it on my own too, um, but everything, you know, that I've learned around alcohol and every, you know, every aspect that I've, I've really embraced around 
around abstinence has been super helpful to building up to where I am now, which everything is, is, uh, I'm able to manage things well yep. at this point in my life at almost 45, finally. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's never too late to yeah. heal from your traumas. Oh I, my gosh, absolutely. I absolutely believe that. I mean, the majority of people who finally get help for their trauma, it's, 20, 30, 40 oh, I, years I down the road. I heard the average is 26 years. Can you believe that? Like, I can because it was 20 uh, something I, years for me. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say and like laugh at. And I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's like, that's when, you know, I come back to redefining mental toughness and this other half of it, because to make that the way, like just to make this, you know, proactive, preventative, accessible mental health the way as a society would do wonders for healing trauma if we were all, mm -hmm. you know, able to embrace that as non-victims, as just a way that it is, a way right. that life is. You know, we try to and we do our best to completely ignore this other half of the spectrum because we perceive you know, these feelings and emotions as bad or negative when really they're the other half of life that we're ignoring. And now we're seeing, you know, tons of violence and tons of other things that are, you know, in my opinion, uh, just a natural response to us not being so proactive and preventative about our mental health in general as a society. I, I absolutely agree. And um, I really do think, you know, especially it, it just comes out, it comes out in outbursts yeah. when you, when you keep it down and, you know, what we're learning now, and this is so sad that it's passed down to, from yep. generation yeah. to generation. So, you know, although it is really difficult to be that person that breaks that cycle yes. of, um, healing trauma, um, it's, it, it's, it's necessary. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's what we all need to kind of think about. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, you know, I, we haven't talked about hashtag binging sober and that Ooh, is, let's talk about that. Yeah. That's the process that I've used to really manage everything around my mental health challenges since I've, you know, gotten out of the military and started this work on my own. And it's something that, as I said, I started in the military, you know, sober binges, right? Mm -hmm. So that comes from, you know, my time at sea or the time that I would take away from leaning on not just alcohol, because what I realized is when I didn't have alcohol, then I would start to overuse other things. It was like avoid, 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 avoid. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, these, these escapisms that are so accessible and so acceptable, uh, you know, that are available to all of us, alcohol being one of the most toxic, I mean, it's inherently toxic, but then there are all of these other things that we tend to lean on, like, you know, television or social media or video games or shopping or food, you know, all of these things that are not inherently toxic. We just, you know, use them in amounts and frequencies and judge ourselves when we use them that they can create 
just havoc on our mental health. And so hashtag binging sober is a movement that I am starting and has become my mission in life. And the way that that's related to mental toughness is because to me, it was that toughness that got in the way of the healing, left that toxic energy. And that toxic energy is what we unconsciously try to avoid when we lead on these escapisms. So it's really about creating awareness, control, and balance of these things that we are using to escape our real life. Is this what your what your um, program for as a performance coach yes. focuses on? Yes, this is what it's become. So I launched hashtag binging sober in January of this year. So we're just getting started. And I'm currently building a point system. And there will be an app to go along with that sometime here wow. soon. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And so it's really, you know, making something like this concept seems pretty abstract, you know, as as unconscious just habits are, right? There's, if you think of the spectrum of escape as uh, starting with habitual escapism. So just having these things uh, just become part of our routine as they have. And think about the other end of that spectrum as purposeful conscious escape. So I'm not saying like, I'm not saying go completely abstinent on anything. I know that some people need to, obviously, I am aware of that. There are, you know, there's, there's addiction out there and there are people that need that support. As I've said, I've, you know, delved into lots of different programs and along my healing journey. And so sometimes that's the best way to go. But there are a lot of us, you know, in the middle of the bell curve that are just, have just started or have become have just started to overuse these things that are completely distracting us from ourselves and our self-connection. And that connection is really, really important mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, we're talking about going back to the methods of peak performance. That self-connection is what is what the foundation of self-regulation is. So, you know, a lot of times if we find ourselves demotivated and, you know, uh, feeling, feeling, uh, like procrastinating and like yeah. those types of things. A lot of times, you know, that's, that's the challenge is we've just lost that connection to ourselves. There's so many things out there that are just distracting us from what's important. And uh, to me, escapisms are just the number one threat to mental health of our mm -hmm. society. Wow. Yes, I do. I do feel like I fall victim to that because yeah, I think all I, of us do. I, I, you know, there are times where I have so much work to get done. Yeah. And it's not work that I want to do. It's like taxes. <laughs> yes. And I'm oh like, oh, well, I'm just going to go on social media because I need to kind yeah. of get some ideas for, you know, building and, and branding and all of this stuff. Yeah. And Really, I mean, do I need to spend that much time working on that? I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I should just hire somebody to do it because I can't. Because <laughs> I really get then. Then I get distracted just scrolling through and not really oh, yeah. absorbing. At that point, my my mind goes numb. You know, <laughs> they're comparing it, and I say they. You know, there's a whole bunch of research, obviously, being done about this because we've noticed how much it's impacting our mental health as a society, our physical health too. Mm -hmm. um, but they're comparing what we're calling death scrolling to blacking out drunk now. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, th these are things that we do. And as someone who is still managing depression and, and PTS, I mean, these things don't go away. I manage them. 
And so, you know, I'm not saying that there needs to be complete abstinence. What I was saying is, or, or maybe there does again, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, I found that just being or making, for example, if I'm having a, a bad day or a down day, or if I'm feeling depressed and I decide, like I, I make the conscious decision to stay in my bed and binge watch TV then that's different than unconsciously habitually doing it without awareness. And so mm-hmm. that's really like hashtag binging sober makes abstract concepts like this. The point system is going to make it very objective and easy to see how your use of these things is truly impacting you and your wellness. So you can track your energy throughout the day and the week and the month. Ah, uh, so for instance, if I were to distract myself to do some work with social media and yeah. research, mm-hmm. it would be more like I'm dedicating this amount of time. And then once that time is up, I'm going back to what I really don't want to do. <laughs> <Is that? laughs> well, I, it, it happens. So it's an ongoing practice that mm-hmm. you'll track over time. So you would create, you're going to tailor your own point system to you and your wellness and your goals and those types of things. So there's lots of different ways to gain and lose points, but it's entirely up to you. Like, how are you judging yourself when you spend that time on social media? How is it really truly impacting you? That's like step one is awareness around all of the things that you use that impact you because you and I could both be doing the same thing and and they'll be impacting us in different ways right like depending right. on the the thing that it's distracting us from etc so you would really develop an awareness around how that social media time is truly impacting you and find you know there could be a balance that you're just not aware of yet of hey I'm, exactly like you said like hey if i do this for an hour now like maybe that's what i need to do to balance and get me through this you know feeling of procrastination etc that's just an example but that's what the point system will really like illuminate for you oh wow well, I love this this whole idea of binging sober. Where can we find information on that? Is that at your website, ColleenRyanHensley.com? BingingSober.com was launched in January. ColleenRyanHensley.com, is, it's totally fine to go there too. You can still access Binging Sober from there. Okay, great. Yes, I do have ColleenRyanHensley.com scrolling across in the middle of the screen right there. <laughs> That's totally fine. Fortune cookie. (laughs) So that will get you to binging sober. So if you want to get more information on that, check that out. Um, Anything else that you would like to add? uh, This conversation has been so amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I'm just so thankful for you for doing the work that you do. And, you know, I know that, you know, we've run into each other because of our mental health advocacy and because we're, you know, spreading the word about, you know, healing, being possible, you know, and just, Mm -hmm. I really just want to, you know, I'm just so thankful for you for doing this and, you know, being a light for the world and getting this message out there because healing is, you know, I've come to learn the only way out, like it's possible. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the way out of the own, you know, our, the boxes we've built around ourselves. Absolutely. Colleen, thank you so much. I am so grateful for you sharing your story and and the work that you're doing. Um, It's so exciting. So I'll be keeping an eye out for whatever else you have coming up because I know there's a lot more coming. Thanks, Lorelei.
Well, thank you again. Thank you for joining me. That was Colleen Ryan Hensley, 10-year Navy veteran, performance coach, and advocate for mental health, and an expert in mental toughness. For more information on Colleen, like I said, you can click on that scrolling fortune cookie right there in the middle of your screen, and that will take you to her website and Binging Sober. Also, February's issue of Authentic Insider is out. Colleen actually contributed to November's 2022 issue. You can check out Authentic Insider at traumasurvivorthriver.com. That's traumasurvivorthriver.com. And you can find this past issue and former issues there as well. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. We will be taking a break next week, but I hope that you join us the following week, March 1st, when we speak with Laura Lynn, she is a hypnotherapist. We'll be discussing using, using hypnotherapy to access and heal trauma. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast on Fireside. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Again, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care.